Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight, or but as yesterday, when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Those are the first four verses of Psalm 90, which along with Psalm 87 are the psalms appointed for today, Saturday, February the 12th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate it very much. We're continuing in Prophecy of Isaiah here. Uh, the 61st chapter, verse, verse, beginning with verse 10 and going through uh, chapter 62, verse 5. Uh, also in Second Timothy still, chapter 4, verses 1 to 8, and the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. So <clears throat> we get this, the beginning of the uh, prophetic word today is, is exultation in the Lord for what he has done for us. And that's the thing that, that we should do better than anybody else. We should be prepared to praise him and exalt him in all things. We should be willing always to rejoice in him and be able to tell the story of what he's done for us. We're going to see that also in the gospel and then also in, in Paul's epistle to Timothy here. He said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. So knowing what you're praising him for is the, the way to start. What is it you're praising him for? He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. So the... Um, the point of all this is that there's a, a way that we should conduct ourselves. We should be delighted in him because he has chosen us and he has saved us. And he came to earth and in order to show us that love. He didn't just shout it from the heavens. He came to earth to display it and to show how much he loves those who are created in his image. And so it, it's our response then to be uh, delight in him and to follow him wherever he might lead us. And as we do, then we'll get a crown. I mean, we, we can look at the martyrs. We can look at people who have gone on missionary um, endeavors and who have who've experienced death or whatever, and, and Christian history is filled with those people. And we see those same people in Revelation 7 when those from every tribe and language and nation and people are gathered together and they have white robes on, and these are the ones who have spilled their blood. And so it may not look like glorification. Certainly the cross didn't look like glorification, but and yet he said, I am glorifying it. And Jesus saw that as the, the first step, or the next step at least, in the glorification process was for him to die on a cross. So we have to get our minds around what does it look like to be glorified in the eyes of God? What does it look like to be glorified in the eyes of heaven? Because too often, mostly what we seek is glorification here on earth. He says, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. What a great promise to say that, that you are his treasured possession. And while now you don't look like much, 
you'll be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. What a powerful statement that is. And how does it get there? You know, how, how do you get to that blessed and beatific state to where, where you are truly his treasured possession? Well, it's, it's by loving his son accepting his sacrifice and following him in all that he said to do. It, that's the important thing, that, that our glorification truly begins with faith. It begins with accepting the sacrifice of Jesus. It begins with praising him and worshiping him. It begins with that name. That's the new name we have. It's Jesus. The Lord saves, and that name is our name. When we come before him in judgment, we plead the blood of Jesus we come because we know the Father loves the Son. He said it three different times, so, and then resurrected him from the dead. So we need to come in that name. That is the name that we have been given. And he says the, the old names are the ones that he's getting ready to talk about here. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall be no more termed desolate. And those two things look like truth to that exile community. And when they get back, it's going to look like the same thing. And it's going to feel pathetic. But the reality is, is that the proof that God was with them is the fact that they rebuild the city and then rebuild the temple. And and they they receive provision from Persian kings and uh, Lebanese uh, rulers and all this in order to rebuild the temple. He said, you shall be called, my delight is in her and her land is married which is Beulah, so it's Beulah land. If you grew up in sort of that, at least the Southern tradition of, of Baptist and Methodist churches, we, we sang about Beulah land, and that's the word there, married, is Beulah, actually. So it, the, your, your name and your status is going to be changed from forsaken and desolate to my delight is in her and your land is married. For the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. It's, it's going to be a new day. It, it looks hopeless right now, but Isaiah says the time is here. The time is at hand for your deliverance to come. In the gospel today, the time is at hand for a man named Bartimaeus. As Jesus is going to Jerusalem, it's, with all the other pilgrims, there would have been a, a large number of people going to Jerusalem at the same time. And so along the way would be this pilgrim group. And, and that's the group that is, that is cheering and proclaiming Jesus as they come into the city on Palm Sunday. And so along the way, more people are added to the retinue. And, and it's just they're all going to the same place at the same time. They're going for Passover to fulfill the obligation they have to be in Jerusalem at Passover. And so they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho on his way out with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, which would mean Bartimaeus means son of Timaeus. So he was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and to say, Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. Son of David, sorry, um, have mercy on me. That's a high praise. He is he is proclaiming him to be the messianic king, the the one who is in the line of David and the descendant who will sit on the throne forever. So he's asking this king to have mercy on him. Jesus, son of David, he recognizes Jesus as the king and asks the king to have mercy on him. And then many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, which is exactly what happens right when they come into the city. 
uh, on Palm Sunday is the Pharisees tell the, uh, the people who are proclaiming Jesus to be quiet. And they want Jesus to calm the crowd and get them quiet, too. Here, people are, no, 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 don't say this. Don't bother the master. And it kind of sounds like when the, um, when the children were being brought to him and the disciples pushed him away and, and told him not to do it. And it, so now we get this beggar, this blind beggar, calling out to Jesus to ask him to heal him. And so when they rebuked him, he, he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And he's got to say, right? Jesus is, is, not, is saying, I'm not going to assume what you want. Are you asking me for money or are you asking me for something else? What do you want from me? I know that you believe that I am the son of David. What do you mean when you say that? That's essentially what Jesus is asking him. Because he could just be asking for money. And he has every right to ask for money. <clears throat> it, because he's blind, so he can beg. It's okay for him to beg. So he, he, the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. So he's called him son of David, and now he calls him Rabbi. He, he's casting about and searching for, I don't know exactly how to express this stuff, because normally you don't go to the rabbis to be giving your, your uh, sight back. So he, he let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So it's interesting that what he says is, go your way. And then at the end, it says he followed him on the way. And so what Bartimaeus expresses in what he, how he responds to his healing is, is that, that I, I don't know what I believed before. I believed that you were the son of David. I believe you were a rabbi. I believe all that. But I want to see. I've heard about you before, and that's what I was saying was the things that I've heard. And so now, though, you've done something for me. And he had enough faith to ask. You've done this for me. And so I want to see now. I want to see who you are. I want to know who you are by following you. So he, he didn't have a way that he was going. So he made Jesus's way his way. He's going to go into the city hoping, I'm sure, that this one will become the king. He'll become that Davidic king who will reign forever, this messianic figure. And what he's going to see, though, is going to make him wish that he had never seen anything in his life. As he follows Jesus through that week, probably, keeps his eyes on him, I'm sure. I'm sure Bartimaeus was in the crowd every single day, just waiting to see and hear what Jesus would do and say. And then, then, in less than a week, I mean, life goes completely to pieces when he sees him on that cross. I'd like to believe that Bartimaeus hung around long enough and was one of those who saw the resurrected Christ. I don't know, but I do know this, that, that he made an instant decision to be a disciple of Jesus in exactly the same way that the other disciples did, that he decided that he would leave everything else behind, which wouldn't have been much probably, but he, he made a decision to, to go with Jesus and to follow him wherever he led. In the epistle lesson, Paul is admonishing and encouraging his young disciple who is in Ephesus, where Paul had quite a bit of problem. And he left Timothy behind. He's from there. And he left him behind in order to, to sort of lead that church in Ephesus. He said, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. 
So I charge you in the presence of Jesus, who the God of God and Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. That's His charge. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and and teaching. And and that's not always easy to do because that you can get people who who tend to be um, argumentative about things and. And I've certainly had those people in the church and in other Bible studies that I've done. And in some cases, um, was able to, to determine, you know, their questioning and their probing was because they wanted to know more. And then sometimes it's, no, I wanted to be right. And so I had to, to uh, mischaracterize what you had said, John, uh, in order that I could be right. Um, I know what you meant, but you weren't precise enough in your language for my sake. And and so the, there are some people who are that person. They just are. I mean, there's just no way around it. But then there are other people who are, who are literally trying to learn something. There was a lady that, that was in a Bible study that I taught in, in Pauly's Island years ago that um, she challenged on a lot of things. And at first, I just thought she was a challenging person. And then along the way, what I realized is she really good faith uh thing that she wanted to understand and know some things. And so what ended up happening was she made me mostly the teacher, whatever that, that means, that I am today, because I, I recognized that what she was doing was completely in good faith. She just wanted to get things right and wanted to know. But she did know some things. She was quite knowledgeable. And so she made me a better teacher because she made me consider things from the lens that she was looking at. So, and hers was not wrong by any stretch of the imagination. Um, ended up being just a wonderful friend, loved her to death. Um, but, it, but it's important that we do these things as leaders in the church, that we do them with complete patience, which is almost impossible to do. Because it's certainly for a little while, I, I, she, she was off-putting to me. And, and then, like I said, I came to the realization that she's, she's not a problem, she had a problem, but her problem was she wanted to know more. She wanted to fit everything together that she knew with what I was teaching. And, and it really helped me a lot to have somebody challenge like that. But God had to show me the difference between somebody that you have a lot of patience with and somebody who's not coming in good faith. The main thing they want is, is to challenge you because they want to appear more knowledgeable than you. Um, I had a guy one time that came, we had, um, there's a, a lady that, who is a, a really well-known teacher named Kay Arthur, and she's from Chattanooga, actually, my hometown. And, and so she was teaching. And somebody asked me, could they, could they, you know, use some of her videos? And, and I said, sure, anybody can come. And I went. And so this guy went, too. Well, ultimately, he, he got really upset and left the church over that because he thought that I was wrong for allowing a woman to teach men. Um, I, that's not the hill that I'm ever going to die on. Um, but he thought I was completely wrong in doing that. I said, well, all the men had a choice whether to come here or not. It, you know, it, she knows things, and ultimately I lead the discussion after. So um, he said, but, you, but that's still not right. I said, well, what, do you, does it bother you that when I was in seminary I had several female professors? No, that's okay. Okay, well, one of us is insane and doesn't understand logic and reason. And so that was, that was a guy that it didn't bother me for him to leave because he, he wanted to be right, but, but there was nothing logical about it. If your pastor was partially trained by women who taught, then I don't, I don't understand why then it's wrong for, uh, to, to allow a woman to teach in the church in the circumstances, particularly which we were doing it. I was there. 
And I led the discussion afterwards. And if I had an opinion that differed from hers, I certainly was fine to say that. So I'm not sure what his thing was, but, but he was so interested in being right on that issue that, that he was willing to completely overlook that, that the pastor, and typically that would be true in almost any pastor, had, had at some point been taught by a woman. It's just a very bizarre thing. But that, that I consider to be not a good faith argument because he couldn't respond and didn't respond to my opposition or to my presence there. If I, like I said, if I saw something wrong, then I, then I would have corrected it. If I saw something that, that I took objection to, I would have corrected it. So anyway, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And that's certainly what's happening in the church today. People won't go hear people like John MacArthur or, or, or some of MacArthur's people then won't go to anybody who talks about the present action of the gifts of the Spirit. So it, it's, it, we're always we're defining other people out of our lives that they don't have anything to say if they disagree with us on certain points. And and what we end up with is is the most bland and insipid stuff that you'll ever hear where somebody takes a verse of Scripture and then hangs 75 stories on it and, and never teaches you anything about Scripture and takes it completely out of context as they do. It's a huge danger in the church because we'd rather hear those stories than be challenged with what the Bible has to say and, and to be in, encouraged by what the Bible has to say, too, because it is an incredibly encouraging thing to read. But we need to encourage our people to read it. And so when Paul says preach the word, he's saying preach, stay in the word, man. Stay in the word. Preach the word of God. He says so they'll accumulate teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And I hear that all the time. I mean, I hear people telling me things, and I'm looking at them like, where in the world did you get that? Because that's not true. And, and they will follow these things and believe things that are, that are wildly untrue and have nothing to do with the Word of God because they prefer the myth. <laughs> As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So he says, always keep your head, keep your wits about you. It, it be be um, clear that you're going to have to endure some suffering, but just move on with it. Just keep at the work of being an evangelist, which is preaching the evangel, the gospel. Fulfill your ministry, for I'm already poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul says, I'm, I'm ready to die, man. This is I'm at the end of mine, and I'm encouraging you to pick up the baton from me and run forward with it. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul says, I'm just looking forward to that. And if you do the same, if you persevere in your ministry and fulfill the work God's given you to do, then at the end, you can also have the crown of righteousness, which awaits because you stayed the course, you did the work, and you loved the Son. And that's the most important thing that we, we should always do. We should take Bartimaeus as our example of, of how to do this. We, he had an option to go on his way, but he chose to follow Jesus on his way.